Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the Fire Boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of the Mason Dixon line. Come on. If you'd like to learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Collective Podcast. Um, tonight, we've got a small crowd, but a powerful crowd at that. Um, Walt is taking care of a sick kid. Parker is hunting, and Brett just got back from a successful hunting trip, so we're letting him have the night off. But regardless of that, I'm going to be your host tonight, Matthew Reeves, uh, running this. And we've got a special guest um, tonight. It's uh, Mr. Jake Lyshen. Uh So, Jake, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm good, man. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having oh, me. Man, I'm glad we we finally got the stars to align, and we're here um, and talking. And we've already got into some stuff that I I thought was good. So we went ahead and pressed record and and running with it. So um, you're on the road right now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the road. Um, currently, uh, 
you know, trying to throw a couple hunts in between, between work, work shifts on the road. So, um, trying to track one down in Illinois as best I can. So and when you, when you told me you were on the road since what, August 15th, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's been since August 15th. Man, it's, a, it's, a it's a lot. That, that'll, that'll wear you down, but, uh, you, you're getting to hunt, you're getting to hunt when you can, um, taking care of your work yeah. when you can as well. Yep. I, uh, I've kind of structured my, I mean, I say structured my season. It's kind of ended up this way, but, um, I've had the first week of every month, uh, so far this year. And then a little bit here and there, if I get a, you know, a couple of days in between, you know, that's awesome. Um, but where I kind of am making my bread and butter is that first week of each month, first week of September, October, and now November. Man, that's great. You're, you're hitting the cold fronts just right, you know, right, right before them. It seems how they're falling this year. Dude, you're telling me it's the cold front's awesome here. I mean, it's cold for a southern guy. I mean, it's <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was in the low twenties, high teens uh, the other morning, and uh, with I think ye- yesterday evening when I sat, it was thirty two with forty eight mile an hour winds. That's pretty chilly, Dang, dude. I'm not gonna lie. Well, we we've covered that you're you're on the road. You've been on the road since August fifteenth. Um, for for the listeners who don't know who you are or what you do, kind of just give them a rundown of how you're able to do this. Yep. So for for everybody who you know, hasn't had the chance to pop on to any of the other podcasts I've done with the good folks here at uh, Southern Collective, um, I work in the content creation business. So myself and a team of awesome like-minded individuals um, through our business land limited do commercial photography and filmmaking for hunting brands and adventure brands. Um, it's not exclusively hunting, but it does take us to a lot of places where we end up working for a lot of hunting brands. And, um, you know, it's, everybody wants, uh, photography and video work in the fall, which unfortunately is the time when I want the most time off. And those two things don't play well together. So you kind of have to figure out how to make both worlds meet. Um, and the best way that I've found to do that is, you know, since I never really know what States I'm going to, uh, for work, I just plan to kind of have an open schedule here and there. And, and I pick up a tag when I can and, uh, live out of my truck off and on in the fall. Um, I will fly home and travel a good bit. Um, but I, I usually will leave my truck in, in States that I know that I'll have a week or, or three or four days to hunt in, in between work projects you know, fly back in, get in the truck, go hunt for a few days, fly back out for work. So it's a wild life right now. Man, that, that's, that sounds, you know, people probably listen to this and are wishing that was, that was their life, man. So that's, that's awesome that you're able to do that. And through this, you've been able to see a lot of different states, see a lot of different deer populations, and see kind of how how every deer reacts. I know you've you've made it down here to Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and like you said, you're from uh, the North Carolina area, so you've uh, you've had your fair share uh, with this. So, um, our, the main objective, really, I want to do for this podcast is you know talk about you know in se- in season sign. Uh, we we jumped on that a little bit uh, as well as these areas where deer may not be a bunch of sign you know go into the midwest you see sign around every corner it seems you know there's a rub here there's a scrape there and 
that's portrayed to a lot of us Southern folks is that's what we're supposed to see, but it's really not what we see. So that's that's mainly what I want to cover here. So start starting out, man. Um, I, I want to jump into Alabama just because I'm an Alabama boy. Like that's just just what I do. Um, I kind of know where you, where you were as far as where you were hunting um, and, and the, the kind of region. But um, when you came when you came down here, was it anything like your your home state? Uh, it it was. Only because I had, you know, and I had talked to Parker about that region of the state and was looking for somewhere that was, you know, it's a back step here. Anytime I try to go out of state or I know I'm going to go out of state to hunt, um, and Alabama is a, is a unique one because it's not one that I am on the road hunting. Um, I'm getting the chance to really target Alabama and say, I'm going to go here to hunt and actually plan to go there. So what I was trying to do was to find relatable habitat types to what I already know and I'm familiar with in the Southeast. Um, so in North Carolina, um, you know, most of the stuff that I'm hunting is bottomland river bottom or a number of different, you know, versions of just swampy lowland country. Um, it can have, you know, low deer densities at times, uh, but it's it's just tough to hunt. It's tough to find sign in, and I think it's tough to just be in in general. Yeah, and and so, especially map scouting those places. Like when I get, like I can map scout pretty good on terrain, but those flatlands, you've got to put a lot of work in. You've got to cover a lot of miles to find to actually find that sign. Yep, and I think that's that's one of the biggest things that that I think guys miss out on or maybe they don't take to heart enough and i you know i know you started with when we led into this conversation was talking about you know the midwest and kind of maybe the false narratives that have come to you know the just the collective hunting community from you know the the few midwestern states illinois iowa um you know that just the bread and butter places kansas where everybody expects to see sign well I think in a lot of places like our, I actually would, it's crazy to say, um, but I prefer to hunt that environment even over kind of what I'm dealing with right now in the Midwest um, or, or what I feel like a typical Midwestern hunter would run into. And, and it's, it's almost because it's like overwhelming. It's, it's death by too much sign, Yeah, you know? Um, and it's, you end up in a position where, and not all the time. Like there are moments where you, the deer are in real sparse pockets. Um, you know, like for example, here in Illinois, what I'm seeing right now is, um, you know, they're right at the beginning of the rut. So they've stopped hitting sign. And for whatever reason, because of weather, they didn't lay a lot down to begin with as far as rubs went. So there's not a ton of just sign to identify where they were or, you know, in season sign to kind of play off of maybe any routine patterns from this year. And the scrapes aren't super lit up because they're right at the forefront of chasing. So you're kind of having to go in and explore and find doe groups and then take your best guess and do observation sits to whittle down where you think a buck may move um, or hunt big core travel routes. Yeah. That's stressful (laughs) (laughs) um, because there's, because you, you never really know if you're making the right call 
until you until you actually get to see one on the hoof and you can make a game plan. Um, and you know, it's a little there's a, a higher buck density I think here in the Midwest, so it's a little easier from that sense. Um, but the same principle applies back in in the South. So if I was in the Carolinas or Virginia or Georgia or wherever, you know, one of the main things that I'm trying to focus on is just identifying like condensed sign specifically in, in a, any sort of key area. So unlike here, we'll take, for example, in the Midwest, you may have a piece of public land that's 200 acres or a hundred acres. Um, and it's loaded with sign, you know, or we'll say it's a thousand acres. The whole thousand acres is on and off loaded with sign and there's deer using a majority of it at different times. Now, some of it may be at night, um, but for the most part, there's enough deer for there to be deer using it and you're seeing sign pop up intermittently all over the place. Right. Back home, you know, in the Southeast, I typically find that those deer are tied into a very specific spot. So like you may have a hundred acres or 50 acres or 25 acres out of that thousand that's applicable and that the deer are consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree, man. And like you said, like there's like, we do have areas that get like very heavily hit with sun. And those are, that, that's that 25 acres you're talking about. Like that's where you need to be hunting. It's not like I've walked a whole day and seen one rub. Like you, you walk four miles and you see one rub and that's just, that's just part of it. You, you go somewhere else like the Midwest and you walk, four miles you're you may see a hundred rubs and then you're in that well where where do i go it's kind of hard to find that x x hits the spot um but right right now um where i'm at you know alabama's got so many different ruts you know there's deer rutting right now there'll be deer rutting about every every month um I'm starting to see um, some scrapes, you know, start start to be put down and knowing, you know, what the hunt scrape or not, you know, I'm, I like to hunt scrapes. I've had success over scrapes and finding the right scrape can be, can be tough. But this one spot I hunt there, there's a lot of bucks, like there's more bucks than those on this place but they just don't lay, lay down the sign like you would think. So, you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around how do I find the right trail? How do I time these deer up to to be in that area at the right time? And, man, it's tough um, trying to figure out a buck that just doesn't lay down a bunch of sign. Um, you know, we, we have guys talking about that in Polo about, about Florida. You know, they can be very um, isolated. So finding those key pockets, man – that's just uh that's huge i mean how how long would it do you say it would take you just scouting time before you hunt to find one of those pockets uh i think it depends on the size of the property um you know i really try to focus on you know whether i'm out of state or in state so let's let's take you know in state for example uh if i'm back home or if i'm in alabama i'm trying to pick a kind of like a mix of different properties that are manageable that I can have bite-sized chunks come off of, right? So like, let's say I go to, I come to Alabama, I've got, I typically try to plan for five to 10 days, you know, usually seven to 10. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to cut it short with work. 
Um, you know, but let's say five to 10 days. I know that's tough for, for, for some for vacation time, but I really feel like you need at least two days on the front of your hunt to just cover ground. And, and, and you're doing that on specific pieces that you want to spend time on that are manageable. And what I mean by manageable is you could go to a big piece of public, let's say, you know, let's say you go to Bankhead, right? Well, Bankhead's huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's giant. You know, you could walk for days and not cover, you know, you're covering all the exact same terrain type. And those deer may just not be in that terrain type at that time. Or maybe they're tied into something else or they're pushed in one place or maybe they're using a very small like type of that landscape that it's just going to be so hard for you to drill down on in such a short window you're better off to to narrow your scope down and say i'm going to go to this 200 acre piece of public um, or this small portion of bankhead and say this is relatable like i know how to work with this whether it's cutovers or bottom land or ridges oak hammocks, whatever, and then take your time with that 200 acres and say, I'm going to kill the best buck on this piece or on a couple different pieces. Maybe walk that 200 as hard as you can and there's nothing there you're interested in, you know, so you go bounce to another 100 or 200 acre piece and you do the same thing. And you kind of systematically break down those properties in a way that allows you to make educated decisions as best as possible, you know, to where you can, you can actually execute on a good whitetail like that. Um, That's good information because I think, like you said, a lot of people just get so overwhelmed with these bigger portions. Like the last couple of years, I've really been trying to build my intel over the years as far as like, Hey, I know this spot produces at this time of the year. I know the signs here. I mean, I'm dealing with a, you know, hundred thousand acres. Where do you start on a hundred thousand acres? You know, like you said, a 200 block, pick out a 200 acre block or whatever, you know, say it's like you make it your own little hunting club and you learn that like the back of your hand. Um, and year after year, you're going to keep building that, that information. Um, so that, that's huge. I think because we do have a lot of options here and there, a lot of them look the same. Like you're saying, like with Bankhead, I've, I've never gone up there personally, but I've heard, I've had people, you know, they come in from out of state and they're like, man, they hear all the stories of the big deer, which there are big deer there, but you're either one going to get really, really lucky or you've got to put in some time to find those jokers. Yep. And that's, and here's the thing, man, I think it's, it's that way everywhere, you know? So, so even if you are a non-resident and you're coming into Alabama, you know, I think that the big thing, well, and I, I, you know, we're talking about Alabama right now, but this is, this is applicable everywhere. Um, you know, it's, it, you're, you're looking to find a property you can build a relationship with over time. And, and yes, I think that there are some properties in some States where you have a higher likelihood of harvesting a buck on that first attempt through. Um, and I think that you can have success like that, but I, I'm always trying to plan for me for further ahead. I, you know, I'm hunting today to try to harvest tomorrow, but I'm also paying attention, think, expecting like, hey, I'm going to be back here again at some point. You know, mm-hmm. it may not be next year, uh, maybe the year after that, but I don't intend to stop travel hunting. Um, you know, as as I, you know, get older and my life kind of solidifies a little bit more, I'm sure I'll I'll do it a little bit less frequently, but I'll still be harping on 
the same um, the same properties, the same places, the same good successful spots that I have found over time. And I think that's important, even if you are, as you're saying, like finding a piece of public near yourself and making it your own your own hunt club per se, you know, and I, and that's, if there's one thing that I've learned is that, especially with bucks, they tend to do the same thing over and over again. Um, not always, but me, and what I mean by that is they tend to use the landscape in the same way. They tend to do similar things because there's a reason they're doing it. And usually it's because they're not dying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, so, so it's like, you can pretty much count on if you find a really good spot, even if that spot doesn't produce year after year, you could try to replicate that scenario on other pieces of public ground or other pieces of private ground and say, okay, I know this works. Like we'll use beaver dams for an example. They're everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. You got beaver dams in the South, beaver dams in the North. Well, if you get a big beaver dam that's, that's connecting two big, you know, bodies of land masses, you know, or crossing a Creek, those deer are going to use that. That's a bridge. That's past the least resistance, you know? So that's just something that you can count on and look for a pinch point or a funnel that's applicable. And the same thing applies up North as it does down South, um, you know, East, West, they're going to do things somewhat similarly based on security. Um, and I think that's probably where I differentiate my strategy from most is the number one thing I'm looking for is security first, not food, not water, not even does is looking for security first. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Finding that security, especially in, you know, these big open hardwood areas that can be not being able to see it on a map, you know, with whether it's a laurel thicket under the forest, you know, canopy or um, just a hillside they like to bet on. I mean, that, that can get pretty, tough if you're not just you know putting boots on the ground but this correct me if i'm wrong on this statistic and this may just be close i'm just throwing it out there but typically on the out-of-state hunt it on an out-of-state hunt it's like your third trip before you tag out or, or mm, second I don't, uh, I don't i don't know about i don't know necessarily about um you know the the overall number of hunters i i think that if you're it I would, I would want to dig into that number and I would be curious as to like how many, you know, what do those trips constitute? Are they two day trips or mm -hmm. three day trips or, or are they like five to 10 day trips? Right. So for perspective on my out of state trips, um, most of the time when I make a harvest, it's usually somewhere around that day, five to 10, yeah. almost always mm -hmm. like it's, it's very rarely, if ever, I can't remember a time where it's been in the first three days. And the reason for that is because you're, you're building a relationship with that land, right? You're figuring it out. And, and like, I'm not in the position, I'm not able, I don't have the, the cards in my deck to make a play on a mature buck after only a day to three. I don't care how good you are. Like, you know, <laughs> he's either got to be really stupid or you got to be really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's right. I mean, yeah, most, most of my trips, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to go on, you know, one of those seven to 10 days. Most of mine are four to five. So I'm having to go back, you know, multiple times. And, you know, I've this year I've hunted a spot in Kentucky for the second year in a row. And I 
you know, I got lucky and tagged out on the first morning, but I had a bunch of intel um, from the previous year to go off of. And I think that's just, you know, that's huge in out of state hunts um, is building, building that intel. I, I agree. And I, and what I, I think that that's, you know, we're going to continue to harp on the whole building relationship with the property. And I, I'll say it over and over again, only because I, I can't, I can't get a, a behind how important it is for you to have a piece of property that, you know, like the back of your hands, like it's your own hunt club. Yeah. Um, but, but on top of that, you know, I think. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marines Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you're building that year-over-year intel, I I assume that when you went back, you scouted it some, you know, even when you went back to to reaffirm what you had seen. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of guys make a mistake, right, is like I think that they'll go – let's say you go to Nebraska and you go hunt Nebraska um, or, you know, Georgia, and you, you hunted this property last year. You feel good about it. You go sit, you know, you, you don't plan any scouting. You just show up. You're like, Hey man, I had great sits here. I had great sits here. You know, I saw a lot of deer. There wasn't any pressure. Well, that doesn't mean <laughs> that the deer are going to be there this year. It just means that they were there last year. Right. Um, you know, the, <laughs> I, I tell guys all the time, the best thing that you can do is delete your pins on, on Onyx and restart fresh every single year because those pins will get you in trouble so many times. Like that, I mean, it's, you can pick a general area. Like we said, let's say on that public, you figure out that there's a hundred acres of that piece. That's the money zone. That's where they're at. Well, within that, you can't rely exclusively on historical sign. You have to go and reaffirm that that sign is there just like you did the first time, even if it's only, you know, it, whether it's a year apart or two or three weeks apart, that first day is pivotal for you to go in and do a quick walkthrough of that whole area, make sure that everything is exactly the same and then plan your sits, Yeah, you know, but I think a lot of guys are too afraid to, they're too afraid to bump deer. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I've, started doing and not being afraid of bumping deer like i mean if you could bump a deer they're telling you where they're at so then get a game plan on it um i think a lot of people think when they bump a deer their hunt's over um just use that for the next one man but yeah that's well and the thing is there's a difference in bumping a deer from a tree and bumping a deer on the ground like you know how much stuff bumps deer on the ground like they get bumped 
they get bumped all the time. Yeah, that's that's like where constantly. all their threats come from. You know, gr- ground exactly. ground threats. Um, yep. But you you got me you on know. the pins though. Um, I probably need to go de- delete some because <laughs> I, <laughs> I I do that a good bit. But um, I kind of want to segue to well, to go ahead. So oh, go ahead. Um, I don't know. I was just gonna say a quick a quick note on that. So you can folder your pins by year. So you can actually keep keep your historical sign, but you can remove it off of your map. Okay. Um, which is pretty cool to do. Yeah. So for all of you Onyx users out there, um, just start selecting all your pins and moving them into a specific folder for that calendar year. And then you can kind of pick and choose what you do and don't want to display so you're not getting overwhelmed. Man, that's that's huge. Yeah, I'll I'll go look at a map that I've have and there's just pins everywhere and i've i've had to start dating stuff you know and trying to get everything going but that's awesome man but no to uh to segue kind of what i what i've been seeing through the whole whitetail you know season so far is the amount of acorns or acorns that are on the ground right now there's so many of them i mean are you seeing a ton right now yeah there's a lot of acorns up here um, there's also a lot back home, you know, all of my guys that are keeping me up to speed on everything back in North Carolina are saying the same thing. Uh, and in the mountains, there is just a ton of food, which makes it extra difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, you know, uh, you always hear, Hey, find the, find the hot feed tree, you know, the one that looks like it's been tilled up with all the, all the poop under it and whatnot. And I've spent a lot of time in the woods this year and I have yet to find one. And I, I just think these deer are able to meander through the woods and pick up food where they want to you know whether they're in the thicket and can just stand up and eat and lay back down it just kind of it's blown my mind because i i personally don't like when it's just a a bumper crop of acorns because it makes it harder for me i agree it's it definitely makes it harder what what it does is it 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 makes it um I, i think there's there's not really a way for you to just dial in on where they're eating. Um, you know, so it, it makes it all that much more important to walk, you know, and, and when I mean walk, I mean, you're, you're walking twice for every time you hunt, you know, essentially, because you're, you're no longer looking for food. Um, you know, I I think a good way to look at this, uh, one of the, uh, Matt, do you know who Grant Woods is? Yeah. Uh, he's a wildlife biologist out of Missouri, yeah, right? He, uh, he's, he does growing deer TV. So one of the things that I took away, I used to watch Grant's videos all the time. Um, and one of the biggest things I ever took away from him was he preaches when you're doing land management and follow me here, this will circle back around to our acorn situation <laughs> um, is, is to when you're looking at your property, whether it's a piece of private land or public land to zoom out. And look at the bigger picture on the map. Look at look at what you have the most readily available and what you have the least of. And what your neighbors have the most readily available and what your neighbors have the least of. And start to build yourself a plan of what your deer are doing based on the likelihood of what you have or don't have access to. Or how you need to improve your land so that you make your property the most advantageous for that collective deer herd. When you get a lot of acorns or a lot of food, so let's say you, um, you know, it could be acorns, it could be corn, who knows, you know, it could be a big ag, let's say you have a, a 
<laughs> let's say it's all peanut fields and you got tiny woodlots all around you. You know, it's, I think it's important that you zoom out and you go, okay, the thing that I can't control is food. Like I, there's no way for me to control that because they can eat everywhere. So let's look at what we can control. So parts of the state, parts of the U S this year, we're in a drought. So were you in a drought area? Is it like, was water a limited resource? If so, those bucks are probably going to relate to that water. Now they may not be, you know, let's, they may not be, you know, within 200 yards of it, but if there's a pond and it's the only pond on the property, you could draw, you know, a half mile circle around that pond and say, okay, this is where I'm going to start. Um, and same thing applies with, with security cover. So if you're in an area that's big, mature timber stand, like if I hunt Virginia in the national forest, um, or if I'm hunting national forest land in general, Western North Carolina, Virginia, uh, really anywhere, um, or in central North Carolina, if I'm hunting big game lands, uh, a lot of that is hard, giant, mature timber. And the limiting resource is not food or water, but security cover. So when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at habitat diversity. So now I'm whittling my arrow, my area down based on what I know that buck has to prioritize to survive there. You know, so I think people get so caught up on food that they lose sight of the fact that if he, you know, it's, it's great when there's not a lot of it and you can pinpoint it and you know, you, they're going to go right here and eat. You know, just like if they're going to exit in the corner of a field and you can hang your stand and do your thing. But it's not really the most consistent way to be successful on a whitetail, in my opinion. Uh, the most success- consistent way is to find out whatever that limiting resource is and to hone in on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, I think we all get tied up at some point in the, you know, the feel good finds and whatnot like that. And that's a very I feel nobody considers that i mean you just you saying that's made me think of you know five spots that i need to go back and look at to try to find those you know quote-unquote limited resources because there's there's a limited resource everywhere you hunt you just got to look for it exactly and and it's the same thing like you may have a property that's covered in thick right like it, maybe maybe your limited resources is you know field edges or openings or you know, it, it works both ways. It doesn't have to just be a property with a lot of oaks and hard timber. It doesn't have to be a property that's all fields with little timber, you know, or big open bottom land or whatever. Look at your landscape and go, what are the things that I have the fewest of here? Um, you know, what does a buck need to survive? Food, water, cover. You know, those are the three things he needs. So depending on the time of the year, um, you know, and you'll have to break that down depending on like, is it September, October, November, December, you know, and what is his priority structure going to be during that window, you know, but you can look at those limited resources and say, okay, he's going to need this. He may not be here right now, but if I can go find a track or if I can go find sign, I can backtrack him to where I think I can kill him. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. I mean, just, uh, the the things we don't think about that are right in front of us um are huge for us now you you've mentioned uh virginia a pretty good bit you know hunting in it the the national the not yet the virginia national forest and all that now are you as far as terrain do you like hunting terrain much 
I do. Uh, and I, I don't want to claim to be like this serial, you know, Virginia big buck killer. I'm still, I'm still getting, getting a lot of learning done in Virginia. Um, the mountains are, are an, an awesome and challenging place all at the same time. Um, but, but have definitely had, had some success there and had the chance to find a lot of really good sign. Um, I'm very excited about hunting this year in early December, uh, which is the week that I have pegged to, to go, you know, give my seven day attempt at Virginia. Um, got, got some Intel, you know, there and some cameras out and I'm doing my thing and just waiting, buying my time until I'm home and I can get in there. But yeah, um, I've got a special place in my heart for, for mountain deer. Um, I've killed a couple, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm no wizard wizard at it still trying to learn it um but in the in the mountains with how these deer travel i mean you hunt the hills you can see very defined trails they look like they're beat down but there's typically not a lot of deer activity on those trails is what i've I've found they just you you know they've been worn so many times over the years but as far as deer traveling in groups um do you see large doe groups are they more like two two does three does here or there uh, i mean i don't really in my experience in the mountains unless there's a reason for there to be a really large doe group for example um you know like there was a there was a, a winery that i had i had the i had access to hunt a few years back there were a ton of does there yeah <laughs> so so that was you know that's a little it's an out it's an outlying factor you know because there was so much food that it could support a bumper crop of does but most of the time I see pockets of two to three. Yeah. Now, every now and then you'll get, you'll get does where let's say you get a section of the national forest that's butted up to by a bunch of cattle land. So like in Virginia, um, you know, th- there is agriculture. You, you'll see ag like some corn and, and whatnot, but it se- it tends to be more cattle country in my experience. Um, so that those big grass fields, you know, I think a lot of some of my favorite mountain hunters to listen to on podcasts will refer to uh, agriculture that butts up to the national forest. And sometimes it is actually ag, but a lot of the time it's just hay fields just, or cattle just fields. Just those, you know, it's underlying factors, just green fields, those bigger, those big fields from a monotonous forest, like we were talking about a second ago. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And those deer will, that you know, they'll feed on that and you could get, you know, more does in an area like that, you know, potentially, but I, I agree with you. I think that you typically see them in twos or threes. Um, you know, you're not seeing big, large groups like, you know, six, seven, eight or something like yeah. that. At least I don't usually, uh, don't usually run into and, them that way. And, you know, we, we talked before we got on here, I, I mentioned, you know, like low, some low deer density stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the times the mountains do hold a lower deer density, but what what I'm seeing is these areas that have lower deer density, they have bigger bucks. Uh, that that's just my my take on where I'm where I'm hunting. It's probably different everywhere, varies, but um, it seems like the age structure gets a little bigger because I think I think less people hunt it because they get discouraged when they don't see deer. Um, everybody wants to see deer when they hunt, you know. The same principle applies back home. So, for example. Some of the places that I have the most success in, in central North Carolina, um, you know, or, or in East, you know, Eastern, Eastern North Carolina as well, um, are, are places where like 
there may be areas surrounding it that have a ton of deer per square mile, but that public specifically or that area specifically doesn't hold a ton of deer for whatever reason. Um, you know, the same way it does in the mountains. So you may have pockets of land where you may have a large quantity of deer, but for the wider spread of, of landscape, there's not a huge population of deer. And I agree. I think that it's, I think it discourages people one, um, from going in there and, and hunting because you do want to see deer. Uh, but two, the added benefit is, you know, for the mature deer that are there, they have a surplus of food opportunity. You know, yeah. because they, they have a lot of opportunity at nutrition, which is why they can grow bigger. Um, but you have to, on the side of that, you have to be comfortable with walking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to be fair, you know, not everybody in the world is out there trying to kill, you know, a giant buck. I think that there's some people, uh, or many people that are happy shooting a good buck every year. I certainly you know, I'm happy shooting a good buck. Um, but I aspire to shooting a, a great buck. Um, you know, so whenever, um, whenever I'm trying to do that, the reason I walk so much is because I'm trying to almost walk myself out of a good buck and into a great buck. Yeah. You know, get, so get where nobody else is looking and, you know, I, you hear that a lot. And I've heard some people, you know, they, they started running into people deeper and deeper and it was kind of, flip flop and you know some some bigger deer were um closer to the parking areas and not as far back it was kind of funny how how that changed but man i putting time in the mountains you will uh you will get a workout that is for sure oh for sure and i think i think that it's that's a great point right there is just you gotta think about like if you tie everything we've talked about so far together I think everybody likes to put hunting into a specific bucket. Like when they go, they're like, I'm hunting a feed tree today, or I'm hunting this field edge today, or I'm hunting this today. And in all actuality, it, it is simple. Like hunting is a simple thing. You know, the, the deer I think are, are simple, are more simple than we give them credit for. But the equation you have to put together is complex, right? Yeah. So that equation could be, um, you know, okay, you know, let's say it's late October. So you're a pre-rut, uh, depending on what part of the country you're in, or, you know, if it's Alabama, it could be November or December, depending on where you are, but let's say it's pre-rut. So your does are feeding, your bucks might not be feeding as much, but you got sign laying down. Um, you know, so you're trying to figure out what, to, what to prioritize. So if you're going to go hunt food, um, you know, are you hunting food that targets does or are you hunting the downwind side of food? You know, and if you're hunting the downwind side of food where a buck could be going, are you hunting existing sign or are you hunting sign that you expect to pop up? You know, when you make that decision, are you, you know, what's your wind direction looking like? Is it blowing to or from, you know, that core bedding area? Do you have to let that day sit, that, that spot sit until it's time to, to actually execute, you know, or back off and observe, um, you know, and you have to put those pieces together, you know, the same way you do anything else, you just, it's not what the deer do and how they live their life. Food, water, cover is, is the simple equation, but the hard equation is, is like putting all of the dots within that based on your specific sit, 
right? Like you still have to get within 25 to 50 yards of a whitetail to get him harvested. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's, know, so, a, that's so, a small circle, you know, that's to, to get that close to mature whitetail. That's a big task. Um, especially in the mountains. Do you, do you deal with a lot of crazy winds when you're hunting in the mountains? Oh, dude. So <laughs> it's the, all the hill country stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hill country stuff is i love it because i think it narrows down like you can kind of predict what deer are going to do a little bit easier um because the terrain really helps with that you know you can count on your your rule of thirds pretty well you can you can look for certain like ridge points and secondary points that'll help you out and different slope faces but man the thing you can never count for is that freaking wind man um it is tough Mm -hmm. you know um but but that's the thing one of the big and this this comes from a group of guys that i learned i learned this from guys that hunt the driftless area in southwest wisconsin and northeast iowa uh, which is essentially a lot like our mountains in north alabama south georgia you know parts of virginia it's like pretty big stuff um but it's not they they're not mountains with tops so for if you're picturing a mountain in your mind, obviously our eastern mountains are they're all big wooded national forest type type business, right? Yeah. Well, in in the Midwest, a lot of that that driftless area, they kind of topped those off. They like they it's like they chopped the tops off the mountains and they put ag up there, and then there's ag in the bottom. So you got all these big rolling mountains, big hills, and and trout streams running through them and everything, but there's ag on both top and bottom. So you're fighting the same battle, but now with the addition of food, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which, which makes it a little bit more complicated, um, because you never really know where they're going. But the point being is that that issue with the wind is applicable in a lot of different places. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's brutal no matter where you are. Um, yeah, it's, I, it's, I, I'm learning that these deer are where they are, that I'm hunting because it's almost bulletproof because of the wind. Um, just to let you know, I had a buck bed down up against a bluff wall at like 50 yards. He laid there for an hour and wind shifted or something. Next thing I knew, he was blowing it out of there. Um, it's been a buck I had an encounter with three years ago, and the same thing happened. He was chasing a doe, and wind hit off the uh, wall and went down and hit her and you know the rest the rest is history but it's just here it's always hard when you don't have a like the best time for us to hunt those is in a front when that wind sure enough is going to be steady and you know you don't get too many of those here in alabama just because we're, we're down here but we've got we've had one this week um the wind stayed pretty consistent but you know my luck i haven't been able to hunt any um so it's i think I think that's something that you could maybe put into the, I mean, well, that buck is probably different if he's, if it's specifically a bluff wall situation and he's only, he's, he's there and he's impenetrable, right? Like, you know, unless there's a certain change in the weather, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, that was the first time I've seen him bed right there. Um, but I've seen him in the area multiple times, multiple bucks use it, but, um, it's just, I had him on a, kind of a rotation like you said the deer in the mountains can be a little more easy uh to pattern and kind of had him on a rotation and sure enough he he did it just was you know 
right in the thick stuff, a little out of range, and just couldn't couldn't put it together. But man, that's uh, that's the story everybody has. You know, they were just just out of range, almost did it, and uh, that that is what it is. But Jake, I don't I don't want to take um, any more of your time, man. I, I appreciate appreciate you coming on here. Was there anything else you may want to touch on before we jump off here? No, man, I think, I think that if I had to reiterate, you know, if, if anybody's out there, whether you're struggling with your season, um, or if you're just trying to kind of find your stride, I, I think that the, the biggest things that you can do, whether you're a new or a veteran hunter, and, and, and I say this as somebody who practices this himself, like I, I try to remind myself of this constantly is, is first of all, make sure you're walking as much or more than you're hunting go look at everything. Don't be afraid to bump deer around. Obviously don't do it haphazardly all the time, (laughs) you know, be cognizant of what you're doing and take note of everything and try to bump them as little as possible, but you can't hunt an area if you don't know what it's, what it, what it is. You know, you can't hunt a place that you don't know, know anything about, um, you know, and then back out with that 10,000 foot view and, and look at your limiting resources, identify what, you know, on a scale of priority, what your what the deer that you're hunting are going to prioritize based on what they have the least of, um, you know, and then just try to focus on that. Continue to walk, continue to look, um, and no matter whether you have a large deer density or if you got a small deer density, you just got to focus on covering ground. You know, it's it's the simple it's the simple part of that equation that is like the most important, and it's kind of the most frustrating because you may walk for multiple days until you find what you want. And that's okay. It's okay to walk and not find the right sign. You know, that just means you don't need to be there, you know? And then when you do find the right sign, you will have saved yourself a whole season of sitting somewhere that you didn't need to be. Um, I, I look at deer hunting a lot the same way I do turkey hunt right now. And I'll leave it at this is when I go turkey hunting, I don't want to kill the silent gobbler at one in the afternoon. I want to kill the bird that wants to play the game with me. Yep. And it's the same way with whitetails. I, I'm not out there to sit a whitetail out for 47 days <laughs> until <laughs> I can get him killed. Right. That's not my game. No. My, my game is, is to find the one that I can plan around, that I can pattern, that I can put that puzzle together with and do and get after. And the only way that I can ever do that is by covering ground. Well, well, you heard it here. Cover some ground, guys. We appreciate y'all listening this week. And y'all take care.